Welcome to the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about management with a government executive who is changing the way government does business. The Business of Government Hour is produced by the IBM Center for the Business of Government, which was created in 1998 to encourage discussion and research into new approaches to improving government effectiveness. You can find out more about the center by visiting us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. And now, the Business of Government Hour. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and leadership fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. Over the last seven decades, the nation's population has more than doubled. The price of real estate in major cities has skyrocketed, and supercomputers have gone from filling three-story rooms to fitting in your pockets. The world has become vastly more interconnected, and federal agencies are striving to match the pace of change, evolving to meet new domestic and global challenges, and better serve the American public. The U.S. General Services Administration, GSA, is working with federal agencies on a multiple of fronts to save taxpayer dollars and improve the efficiency and effectiveness of the federal government. This unique mission support role ties back to GSA's founding in 1949 when President Truman sought to create one agency to help the federal government avoid senseless duplication, excess cost, and confusion in handling supplies and providing space. Today, GSA fulfills this mission, pursuing a wide range of programs that support partner federal agencies with their real property, procurement, information technology, and shared services needs. What are GSA's strategic priorities? How does the Technology Modernization Fund work? And what is the mission of GSA's Emerging Leaders Program? We will explore these questions and so much more with our very special guest, Allison Brigatti, Deputy Administrator at the U.S. General Services Administration, GSA. Allison, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Kunal, for having me. I'm yeah. really excited to be here. Also joining our conversation from IBM is Kunal Suravanshi. Kunal, welcome back. As well. Thank you. It's great to have you. So, uh, Allison, as we start our conversation, um, perhaps you could briefly discuss the uh, mission and continued evolution of the U.S. General Services Administration, also known as GSA. Sure. So um, GSA's mission is to deliver value and savings in real estate acquisition, technology, and other mission support services across government. Um, we just celebrated our 70th anniversary in July. And as we've reflected on our history, it's been amazing to see really how stable our mission has been over the years. President Harry S. Truman founded the agency in 1949, um, and he wanted to create an agency to help the government avoid senseless duplication, excess cost, and confusion in handling supplies and providing space. And while the mission has been quite steady, we are always evolving in not just how we deliver on this critical mission support role for the government, but also in what we deliver. Um, an example of really what we've um, evolved in in terms of the how is over the last few years we've um, and, a, and a result of some really positive policy and industry shifts, we've been keenly focused on customer experience um, and data-driven policy and decision making. If not the first, we were one of the first agencies to create the roles of the chief customer officer and the chief data officer. 
And then in terms of evolving the what, um, delivery of technology services has really become a major line of business for GSA, adding to our many-year history in real estate and acquisition of products and services. You kind of uh, hinted at it, but uh, operationally, um, what are the core uh, lines of business within GSA? How is uh, GSA organized? And maybe you could give us some some background on the, the budget and the number of folks that, that work at GSA. So as I briefly alluded to um, in terms of our mission mm-hmm. statement, our core lines of business are real estate, acquisition, and technology. In addition, we play significant roles in promoting management best practices and efficient government operations through the development of government-wide policies. And that resides in our government, our Office of Government-Wide Policy, which is actually the first place that I landed. That's right, yes. Yeah, when I joined GSA, I was their associate administrator. Um, our scale is pretty significant. We have more than 11,000 employees, $24 billion in annual revenues, $43 billion in assets, including property, vehicles, office equipment, a gross annual budget authority of $9.7 billion, and an additional $17.8 billion in obligations, supporting approximately $68 billion in annual contracts. Um, for context, our annual revenue puts us roughly in the top quarter of Fortune 500 companies. So we're just a, a few spots below a very well-known coffee company that will re- remain unnamed. <laughs> Um, on the real estate side, uh, with more than 368 million rentable square feet in over 8,700 active assets, um, we administer one of the largest and most diversified real estate portfolios in the world. Um, in terms of the policy side, uh, most significantly, I'm sure you've heard of the FAR or the Federal Acquisition Regulation. We manage that um, in coordination with NASA, DOD, and the Office of Management and Budget. And it sets the rules that govern the more than $500 billion in annual procurement spend by the federal government. Um, maybe, maybe more tangible and well-known to your audience is that GSA sets the federal travel per diem, yeah. um, the reimbursement rates. Well, uh, many entities outside government adopt those for use in reimbursing their own employees in work-related travel. So what are your duties and responsibilities as GSA's deputy administrator? So I am the chief operating officer for the agency. Um, I manage the day-to-day operations. And while I do get engaged in our core business lines, um, public building service and federal acquisition service, most of my day-to-day is focused on managing the internal operations, or the CXOs, as we call them. Um, And the CXOs account for roughly 2,000 of our 11,000 employees. Um, I found this to be a really interesting interesting and rewarding role um, to be leading the mission support for the mission support agency. Um, And in that capacity, I oversee and and manage a number of CXOs. So I have have IT, which includes the chief data officer, chief technology officer, and the chief information security officer. I have a CFO, um, and that office also includes the performance improvement officer and the enterprise risk management function. Um, HR includes workforce planning and labor relations, mission assurance, which um, many people don't know that manages the PIV cards, yeah. emergency response, COOP planning and exercises. Um, we have our Office of Administrative Services, which is essentially a mini GSA in GSA. And that includes our FOIA officer, records management, space management, 
internal acquisition, and then other um, internal mission support services, um, our Office of Customer Experience, which includes our Chief Customer Officer, and then finally the Small Business Utilization Office, which negotiates our small business targets with SBA and ensures that we're hitting those numbers agency-wide. Um, I also, in my capacity, manage a couple of um, agency initiatives. One of those is the Technology Modernization Fund okay. Project Management Office. Um, and if I think we'll probably touch sure. on that later, but that was established by the um, MGT, or Modernizing Government Technology Act. Another big project I've been working on for the last year um, was the OPM-GSA merger, which I'm sure you've heard a lot about. Mm-hmm. Um, we're a little bit in a holding pattern right now, um, but that's that work is continuing. Another big project is the stand-up of NewPay, um, which I think we're also going to talk about a little later. Um, that's the government-wide initiative to establish GSA as the single civilian payroll provider. And that work has actually just recently been transferred over to the chief of staff's office. And then finally, the presidential transition team, which a lot of people don't know that GSA uh, does, but we, we stand up the office space for the one or two transition teams, depending on the need. I mean, that's a huge portfolio. It goes right into, you know, with such a portfolio um, and regarding your duties and responsibilities, what are, say, the top three challenges you face and how have you sought to address them? Um, The first one that I would think of, which isn't necessarily a challenge, but just something to really keep focused on is – like for instance, all those four agency initiatives I mentioned, um, in addition to um, a lot of the work that's going on in my CXO offices, is the relationship with OMB. Um, what I didn't realize coming into GSA is that we work with them almost on a daily basis. Um, so it's really important to make sure that we have really strong relationships with them and that the communication lines remain open, that there's trust between us. So it's just kind of maintaining that relationship um, because we need, we need to all be on the same page. We need them to be successful. I'd say a second, one challenge that I've had coming in was there was a lack of trust uh, between the service lines and and the CXOs. They weren't sure, the, the service lines didn't know or didn't feel that they necessarily had visibility into the working capital fund bill. Mm -hmm. And they also weren't sure they were getting value Mm -hmm. for what they were paying for. So one of the first things that um, I did coming in is um, to try to repair those relationships and to build that trust between the service lines and the CXOs. And part of that was um, an effort to really revamp our working capital fund bill. Make it as transparent as possible so that the services knew exactly what they were paying for. And I'm proud to say we've made a lot of progress on that front. Um, There was a lot of noise coming in, and I think that noise is now down to a very quiet murmur. But we've we've made a lot of progress on that. Another challenge, I'd say, is is really, um, and this is something I think that's happening all over government right now, um, but it's changing the mindset of CXOs within an agency to focus on customer experience. Um, we are really lucky that we did have one of the first chief customer officers in the agency, and I've brought her in um, early and often um, in my relationships that I've established with our CXOs, making sure that there's been a shift from really customer service to customer experience. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of our big our motto for the CXOs this year going forward is, is get changing that mindset. Um, Anahita Riley, who's our chief customer officer, um, has just been key in in just helping 
all of our CXO staff think of their fellow employees as customers, Mm -hmm. not just GSA's external um, agency customers. So what has surprised you most since you took on this current leadership role? Well, outside of Washington and even inside D.C., um, you know, GSA is not exactly the agency that everyone knows what they are. What does GSA stand for? It's it's kind of a mystery. Um, when I took the role and started to get to know the mission and the people better, I was incredibly impressed, just blown away, really, by the talent, the skill, the dedication, the motivation of the GSA career employees. Just phenomenal. On the mission side, when I started, I was impressed by the business-like entrepreneurial atmosphere. It really feels more like a corporate environment. There's a lot of innovation. There's a lot of of, um, excitement about different initiatives. Um, People's imaginations are rewarded. We want people to really think outside the box. I'd say that's not what people usually think of when they think of government. As I got to know GSA more each day, I felt like I was learning about some you know, new, obscure, but incredibly interesting roles that GSA plays that most people don't know about. Um, a couple of examples, we are the steward for the fine art created through the Works Project Administration of the New Deal. Um, and those pieces of art are really kind of spread throughout GSA's uh, building portfolio throughout the United States. We run the gift vault for all the vaults, uh, for all the gifts that are received by federal government officials. Um, I had the opportunity to go over there and do a field trip and look at all the diamonds and emeralds and and watches, kind of an interesting little uh, office that we run. The third I mentioned briefly is the critical role that we play in presidential transition, providing space and services to the candidates and the transition teams. And then finally, another thing we do that's interesting, we serve as the stewards and managers for the pensions, office staff, um, and related expenses of former presidents. On, on a lighter note, um, I was probably most surprised by the acronyms. Um, <laughs> I've, I've worked at places with lots of acronyms, but this was far beyond anything I had ever experienced. Um, I remember at some point in the last couple months, I was telling my senior advisor, um, I was sitting in a meeting and I made it all the way through and understood absolutely everything that was said. And I knew I I had arrived at GSA and I had learned the language. So, Could you describe your career path for our listeners, Allison? Um, sure. I, uh, I'm a lawyer by trade. So I've spent a large portion of my career in legal roles. I started as a corporate law associate with a global law firm, and from there went on to become the deputy counsel at the Republican National Committee. And that's, um, believe it or not, actually where I met Emily Murphy, our administrator. She was fresh out of college answering phones, and I ended up interacting with her because I um, talked to her boss on almost a daily basis. So got to know her there, and then 23 years later, here I am working for her. I took off after that about six years to raise my three children and um, then ended up at the World Bank, uh, where I did not do a legal job. I actually um, started out in their U.S. affairs group and then um, went into their fraud and corruption unit, which is called the um, Division of um, Institutional Integrity or Department of Institutional Integrity. That's really their fraud and corruption unit. Fascinating work. Had a couple different roles there, ended up as the senior advisor to the director there. From there, I went to the National Academy of Public Administration, which I'm sure you've heard of. Um, You know, great nonprofit focused on helping the government solve management problems. And there I was their um, general counsel and director of strategic initiatives for nine years. 
and then ended up at GSA when Emily called me. Um, I'd put my resume into USA Jobs. Apparently, that actually works, and um, <laughs> and here I am. So, um, you know, Allison, when you think of your your career, both in the public nonprofit area and private sector as well. Now, I was wondering, what are the characteristics in your mind of an effective leader, and what are some of the principles you subscribe to and follow? So I think it depends on on the leader and the group that he or she is leading. Um, you know, for instance, leadership in the military looks very different from leadership at a tech startup. Um, for me, Leadership starts with building a sense of trust. Um, I'm very much a team player. I've always viewed my role as leading from within the group as opposed to running ahead and asking everyone to follow me. I want them to feel like we're right there together, side by side, um, doing it together. I try to create an environment that is a little more casual, um, friendly. Mm -hmm. uh, I want people to feel safe to disagree with me and, and freely share their opinions. I may not listen, but I want them to tell me what they think. <laughs> I've noticed that uh, one of my pet peeves, um, people in leadership positions that um, go around and talk about, I did this yeah. and I did that. And it drives me yeah. crazy because they didn't do it. It's a we. Yeah. It's, it's a group effort. So I try to make sure that my team knows that I recognize everything that they've, they've done to get us to cross the finish line, um, that they know I, I appreciate their efforts and that we're doing this together. So, you know, I try, I try to make them feel appreciated always. Um, and I also try to make the workplace fun. You're, you spend a lot of time at work and there's no reason that it can't be enjoyable. What are the key strategic priorities for the General Services Administration? We will ask its Deputy Administrator, Allison Brigatti, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Allison Brogatti, Deputy Administrator at the General Services Administration. Also joining me from IBM is Kunal Saravanchi. Allison, um, would you briefly identify uh, GSA's current key strategic priorities? Yes, we have, we have four. Um, the first one is save taxpayer money through better management of federal real estate. The second one is to establish GSA as the premier provider of efficient and effective acquisition solutions across the federal government. Three, we want to improve the way federal agencies buy, build, and use technology. And then four, we want to design and deliver expanded shared services within GSA and across the federal government to improve performance and save taxpayer money. So you mentioned earlier that uh, besides your role as this COO, you also have a couple of initiatives that you, that you lead. And one of them is the Technology Modernization Fund, the TMF. Could you tell us more about that? Um, how has it worked since its inception? So I love this initiative. It is fabulous. Um, really excited to be a part of it. Um, it was authorized by the Modernizing Government Technology Act of 2017. And since that time, the fund has received um, $100 million in FY 2018 and then another $25 million in FY 2019. We're, we're waiting to see with cross fingers that we're going to receive something in FY 20. I oversee the TMF's PMO, or Project Management Office, with our Executive Director, Liz Kane, and then Suzette Kent, the former CIO, the federal CIO, chairs the TMF board, mm -hmm. and the board's made up of um, IT and acquisition experts across government. 
So it's kind of like a shark, t- a a shark, shark tank, tank process. Okay. Yeah. So agencies come in and they pitch different ideas to the board. And then the board does a very rigorous uh, vetting process with um, usually the CIOs there, sometimes their CFO, um, and then and then all the people that would be putting the project into place. And the fund is designed to provide resources for some of those IT modernization projects that really never um, receive funding because they just never get to the top mm-hmm. of the pile. Uh, so it's a it's a really great um, way for them to get funding for something that perhaps you know wouldn't happen for four or five years later. Um, many of these types of projects, well, I, I'll talk about a couple of them in a minute. But sure. but um, the funds that we provide, um, and it's important to point this out, are not a grant; they're a loan, okay. and they so it's, um, payback. it's payback, sure. and they have to be able to show when they do their pitch that they'll be able to repay the loan with savings from whatever it is that they're modernizing. So there has to be that link. They can't just go over and ask the Hill for the money to pay back the funds. So we're really rigorous on that. And then the other really interesting thing that the board does is if uh, an agency comes in and says we need 15 million, it's done in tranches. Okay. So they can they well, they'll say okay, we're going to give you 2 million to run a pilot or we'll give you 5 million to do this, you know, first body of work. And then you have to come in and you have to tell us what you've done, how's it working? Is it progressing? Are you behind schedule? Um, and then they don't they don't get that next tranche until they can show that everything's going as it should. Um, if anything changes through the process, they have to come back in and tell the board we missed a deadline. You know, our contract's been protested. So um, very, very close interaction between the agency representatives and the board to make sure things are on track. So it's a really, really great fund, and so far we've um, awarded seven projects, totaling $89 million. Great. No, you mentioned um, uh, in your response, you mentioned some of the some of the projects, and I'd like to talk to you about perhaps you could share with us some of the successes that uh, the TMF has, uh, has, uh, has had over the last year. Um, sure. We've had um, – so we're about – uh, about a year in, mm-hmm. and um, the agency project teams are just now really starting to, to show some success. GSA actually has two projects. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. Um, we have the application, it's a handful, but actually, I'm just going to shorten <laughs> it. It's the application modernization project. Our audience thanks you. Yes, it's a really long <laughs> title. Um, and that's helping us transition from legacy technologies to open source technologies. And that project is just in the process of wrapping up its pilot phase. They've transformed um, two applications, and then they've got a third one in production. Um, and they've identified kind of some best practices and techniques during this whole pilot stage that will benefit them as they go into full implementation. What's really important about this project, and we we promised the board that we would do this, is we're going to put together a playbook that can be distributed to all the agencies so they can help them to do the same thing. Our second project, I think I briefly mentioned, uh, the New Pay project. So um, they are funding part of that um, project. So you might have seen uh, the news that the team just made two awards against the blanket purchase agreement. Mm-hmm. And the team will be holding kickoff meetings very soon, which is really exciting for us. And that initiative is essential to GSA's goal of making back office operations more efficient. We're very pleased at the forward progress that um, these two awards represent. And I think we'll have an opportunity to discuss new pay a, a little bit later in the, in the interview. One other thing, we just had a the Department of Energy team come in to give us an update on their project. And that was kind of a fun one for us because their deputy CIO, um, Mark Neidinger, uh, was actually a former TMF 
board member. So now he has to be on the other side (laughs) of it. Um, But that's a really interesting project. They had over 50 um, email systems, and which is just wild. Um, And they're going to try to get down to one cloud email system. Um, One other success for us is the loan repayment aspect. Uh, We just got uh, three payments in in July, um, totaling about $1.1 million. So the money is starting to come back in. And that's um, really exciting for us for two things, two reasons. The first was there was, I think, some doubt on the Hill that we would actually get it repaid. Um, so that's a big success for us. And then secondly, that $1.1 million can now be given back out for new projects. And then a little plug, if if I may. So we're continuing to meet to identify additional projects, and we still have about $40 left. So for anybody out there listening that thinks that they might have a project that could benefit from this program, I encourage you to reach out to me or to Liz Kane, and we'll try to get you in front of the board. Allison, GSA is the agency leader for the President's Management Agenda cross-agency priority goal on sharing quality services. It's quite a mouthful. Yeah, it's quite a mouthful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so what is GSA doing to expand the use of shared services across the federal enterprise? And can you give us a progress report on this CAP goal? So we've been very busy in this arena, uh, dating back to the previous administration and then continuing through this one. um, Our Office of Government-Wide Policy has been partnering with OMB to establish the standards, process, and playbook for expanding shared services government-wide. Secondly, based on this administration's priorities, we looked at the various shared services that we already provide to try to see where we might stretch our goals and refine our approach. So, for instance, in that space, we've made really good progress in working with agencies to consolidate their motor vehicle fleets under GSA management. Um, in addition, our GSA Smart Pay program, um, which, not unlike your own personal credit card, provides rebates based on use and spend. So we've been working with our customers to maximize the use of that solution for their purchasing, and then that puts money back into agencies' pockets. And then finally, um, we've been working very closely with OMB on two big initiatives. Um, first, we're actively engaged in the QSMO, or Quality Services Management Office designation process. Mm-hmm. OMB um, pre-designated GSA as the Civilian HR Transaction Shared Services Provider. Um, so we've submitted our implementation plan for that and are awaiting the next steps in the process. And then secondly, we've stood up the new pay program at GSA, which is as part of that overall QSMO landscape. And new pay is really designed to establish a single payroll provider for the civilian government. And and staying on new pay and shared services um, and going really from general to more specific, could you tell us a little bit more in detail about the new pay initiative and what are the benefits to be derived from new pay and where are you currently in terms of its status? So this is a great example of a common, um, retru- repeatable transaction service that as a government we can and should do in a shared, centralized way. In the early 2000s, the federal government launched the EP payroll initiative, which uh, was its was its focus was to streamline payroll processing government-wide. At the time, there were 26 payroll systems. So the initiative resulted in the consolidation of those 26 down to four designated payroll providers, and GSA is one of those four. And new pay really is about finishing this work. Um, we're trying to get the federal government to streamline even further, achieving a single payroll provider for the civilian side. So right now, those four current payroll providers are stuck with some pretty old costly systems, and they 
they need to be repaired or replaced. Not Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but, but very soon. So we believe that through this migration to a single provider, we can realize some significant economies of scale. We can modernize to a software-as-a-service model, which puts the risk um, and the cost off onto whoever that is providing that software-as-a-service, and then improve the functionality and user experience of the payroll technology. What is the mission of GSA's Emerging Leaders Program? We will ask its Deputy Administrator, Allison Brigatti, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Allison Brigatti. Deputy Administrator at the General Services Administration. Also joining me from IBM is Kunal Saravanchi. So, Allison, in the in the spirit of uh, practicing uh, what we preach, so to speak, GSA has, has has been working to improve the performance of the CXO functions. Uh, could you tell us more about the CXO Consolidation Initiative? How it built on uh, on previous CXO initiatives. When I took on the deputy role in 2017, I had already been hearing a lot of noise about this fairly large, um, large-scale consolidation that GSA had undertaken um, starting in 2014, um, and then the subsequent, you know, performance and service levels of our CXO organizations. So before establishing a strategic direction, um, when I came into the job and, and setting up a set of priorities for them, I wanted to better understand where we had been mm-hmm. um, through the consolidation, what were our cost trends, what did we accomplish, and what were some of the lingering challenges. Um, this was not easy because, mm-hmm. unfortunately, when the agency started, they didn't do a baseline. So that made it a little difficult. Um, so we conducted uh, both a quantitative and qualitative study of the consolidation results, having them go back in time and try to recreate where we had started and, and where we were. And I had really no preconceived notions about what we were going to find. Um, but by and large, the results were extremely positive. To share just a few highlights, we consolidated over 1,300 positions um, into the CXO organizations, and we were able to achieve $57 million in efficiencies, um, while our business expanded by 16%. So despite that significant business growth, we were able to support more with less, achieving cost efficiency of about 10% and staff efficiency of about 13%. We improved our CXO satisfaction and engagement scores by an average of 13 and 8%, despite that really significant organizational transformation work. Um, We consolidated 18 help desk organizations into one, improved average time to hire by 22 days, uh, reduced processing time for background checks from 45 to three days. That's a 93% reduction. And then improved our financial management controls. Um, Back then they had uh, 80, I think it's an 80% reduction in um, notices of findings and recommendations or NFRs. Um, They had had quite a a large number. Part of that was because, um, uh, to kind of lay it out, we had CIOs and CFOs and there there wasn't just one. So it was spread throughout the agency and and they weren't always talking to each other. And spend wasn't necessarily being controlled. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so with all that data, the performance data, financial data, engagement data, and partner satisfaction data, um, we've been able to really um, fine-tune and focus on three big strategic priorities for the CXO community. Um, the first one is to improve service in priority areas. The second one is to transition from low to high-value services while continuing to meet our core business requirements. And then the third, and I think I mentioned this earlier, was to shift our focus from customer service to customer experience. And by that, I mean, instead of just setting up processes and structures to respond to and react to customer needs and issues that arise routinely, we wanted to be more thoughtful about designing everything that we do in a way that anticipates and delivers on their needs, significantly reducing that points of escalation or lengthy back and forth to get resolution. So in essence, leading with a user or human-centered design. So staying on this theme of um, operational efficiency and effectiveness, um, GSA is pretty big in what we call robotic process automation, RPA. So can you describe to your listeners how is GSA and the other federal agencies using RPA? Uh, perhaps you could share with us more about the efforts and the results uh, so far. And also, what are some of the challenges you see in using RPA? And how does this newly formed uh, community of practice for RPA address these issues? So there's a lot of confusion throughout the government mm-hmm. right now on on what RPA is. Um, it's it's you know automating repetitive rules based tasks by emulating computer keystrokes. So it's pretty narrow. Um, examples of tasks that can be automated are data entry, data reconciliation, spreadsheet data manipulation downloading and uploading files to systems, and sending and receiving emails with file attachments. Um, So we've um, started this process. Actually, our chief financial officer, Gerard Bedorek, um, loves this. Um, So in partnership with GSA um, IT and our business lines, he's been really aggressively pursuing RPA, and we're we're already demonstrating some really strong results. We began by automating um, some of the tasks in the CFO shop. And now we're currently designing bots for acquisition, human resources, and also within our program areas such as GSA's public building service. Um, Some of our current use cases um, are financial reporting, purchase card transaction logging, lease data entry for billing, uh, receiving report processing, and then the hiring process. We're really focused on that in terms of onboarding, offboarding, and systems integration. So RPA is an excellent tool to really reduce the cost of systems integration. Um, These bots can add additional functionality at a fraction of the cost of, of full systems enhancements. So we have um, we started with one a year ago, mm-hmm. and um, we now have twenty eight in wow. production. Which I think I don't know for sure, but I think that's going to be one of the highest numbers in government right now. And we've automated approximately fifty thousand labor hours annually. Mm. Um, we've also just deployed bots to support compliance with the Prompt Payment Act, and also the Improper Payments Act. So I'm really passionate about this because. Um, Gerard wanted me to put it in his performance plan, and now it's in my performance plan. So, but we've hit our we've hit our goal. Everybody's got skin. In Everybody's the game. got skin in the game. Um, it's it's interesting to think about the evolution of our program because it really began with Gerard saying to his workforce, you know, I'm going to have a hundred day goal to implement my first bot, 
And he built the program with existing resources by shifting workload. And then he's actually trained his internal staff to do RPA coding. So rather than bringing in a bunch of consultants yeah, to do it, he's, he's training his own workforce. And we launched a pretty aggressive campaign to identify opportunities throughout GSA. So we've now got a very robust pipeline. Um, and we're continuing to build that internal capacity and expertise. We now have a centralized RPA program within our CFO office. And it actually manages all aspects of RPA delivery in the agency. And we have six full-time GSA developers. And I want to I want to make sure I emphasize here that RPA is not about replacing people. It's not about replacing jobs. It's about reducing administrative burden and repetitive tasks on employees and freeing up their time and space where they can learn new skills and engage in more strategic or higher impact work. One of the things you had asked about was the community of practice. Um, so just real quickly, I want to touch on that. That's being led. Um, it's a, you know, government-wide community of practice, but it's actually being led by two of GSA's own. Um, again, Gerard that I mentioned before, our CFO, and then Anil Cherian. He's our head of TTS. And they're doing an amazing job of really talking about the benefits of, of RPA and, and how to talk about it. Um, it's a, you know, a relatively new and unknown technology mm -hmm. yeah. for the federal government. So there's a lot of, um, like anything in the government, it's going to be a little slower to adopt. There's the security issues, privacy approvals, um, and then really finding those high-value opportunities for automation um, and kind of overcoming uh, the typical resistance to change. So the COP is tackling all of these challenges through 12 practice areas, um, and it's being led by the RPA leaders from several agencies, um, and they'll be doing a playbook, an RPA playbook, to document best practices and strategies, and then we'll obviously um, distribute that government-wide. One of the things that they're really focused on is, is solving those complex operational management technology challenges that create hurdles for the adoption of RPA. So, so they're working on that, and I think we'll be seeing a lot more progress in the, in the next year. As a follow-up, what can you tell us about the eliminate, optimize, automate effort, and how does it relate and or complement the RPA efforts? The EOA initiative actually grew out of our RPA program mm -hmm. when we realized that some of the processes that had been identified for RPA could actually be eliminated, um, and then others needed to be optimized before we could move to automation. Um, and, and really, I should step back, eliminate, when we talk about eliminate, optimize, automate. Eliminate, we're talking about getting rid of processes that are not necessary or don't add value. Optimize, we want to streamline our existing procedures. And then automate is use system enhancements or automation tools like RPA mm -hmm. to eliminate manual tasks. So we we wanted to do an overall look at all of the different um, processes that were going on in the CFO shop. Um, and we once we figured out what um, could be eliminated and optimized that then led us to um, what could actually be done by a bot. So the program's actually identified over 250,000 labor hours um, altogether through the whole EOA process. And um, I've been so impressed with the success that they've achieved is I've now made that um, something that we're striving for throughout the entire CXO community. I think you raised an interesting point with all this discussion around automation, and that is that it's not a job killer. 
and that's directing folks into uh, giving them more time back to be more strategic, probably. And it really goes back to the customer experience. It allows them to do things that uh, focus more on the needs of the customers and, and maybe more complex things rather than more complicated things. So where I'm going with this is that it's a natural reaction to go into the workforce initiative, mm-hmm. which is the core for the Trump administration, and that is investing in the workforce. But what is GSA doing to improve the federal government's ability to recruit, retain top talent? Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Recruiting and retaining top talent is a major priority for us. Um, Our enterprise risk management team that's in our CFO shop um, just completed a risk survey that we gave to first to our SES community and then to our GS-15s. And um, just uh, this was about three months ago. Surprisingly, um, everybody identified the same risk and the human capital was identified as as our top risk and outpaced the next top risk by 160%. So when we received that feedback, we started to dig in. We wanted to really better understand what what exactly everybody's worried about um, and really what was the difficulty in finding and attracting qualified candidates to meet our business needs. So recruitment was followed by succession planning, retention, and workforce planning. So those were the four top Interestingly, while retention was noted as a risk, once we looked into the data um, and the responses to the survey to understand if we actually had an issue there, um, our attrition's at about 8%, which is really healthy, and our hiring is outpacing the attrition. So it turned out that wasn't as much of a of a concern. It was really more that there's certain talent that that with um, and there's a number of key positions that that they're worried about retaining. So it's just kind of that's more of like succession planning really sure. there, um, and that ties into that that focus on succession planning, workforce planning, which our Office of Human Resource Management, led by Tony Harris, um, has been spearheading in partnership with our business lines. This uh, reskilling, as you were talking about, yeah. that's 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 very important in a lot of agencies across the government. It's it's not really a significant issue for us. Um, our is pretty steady. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as a result, there hasn't been some sudden change that's requiring a significant reskilling effort. But for instance, with the RPA work, it's really, uh, we view it more as upskilling. Oh, um, so yeah, we're, yeah. we're wanting, wanting to add some emerging skills and competencies, um, at least emerging as new needs for GSA. And that can come in the form of training or simply acquiring the skills through new talent or industry partnerships. Our HR team is um, working closely with our business lines right now to conduct some new competency assessments where needed, and then building some training and development plans as well as recruitment strategies that could infuse our workforce with some of those skill sets that that are becoming increasingly essential for effectively executing our mission. For example, and, and a lot of this is coming from administration priorities, but data science, mm-hmm. analysis, yeah. management, visualization, human-centered design, and customer experience behavioral science, um, agile technology management, and cyber, to name just a few. You know, um, the center is coming out with a report um, that should be out within the next couple of weeks on uh, analyzing agency leadership development programs. So as a follow-up, I'd like to know more about GSA's Emerging Leaders Program. What's the purpose of it and how does it work? It is a great program. Um, And actually, when I came in, it had kind of been put off to the side. They weren't sure that they were going to continue with it. And um, 
the first thing I did is said, we are getting this back on track. I'm a huge fan. We take newly graduated college students. We bring them in for two years of training and rotations throughout the agency. And they are then placed permanently in the agency in an office, hopefully of their choice. We, we try to make a good match. Um, I actually had an amazing young woman from University of Wisconsin um, as my special assistant for two rotations. And, and I would have hired her, but she decided to move to Chicago. But she's still with the agency. She's in our fleet air, uh, fleet department. But um, I've also had the opportunity to work with several other amazing ELPers through some of the programs that I manage. Um, they are the future of GSA. Just so bright, so hardworking, so innovative. Um, we have an incredibly high retention rate. It's 80%. Wow. Um, I meet EL peers throughout the agency, um, you know, some of them in in their, you know, late 20s, early 30s. They all still talk about the program and the cohort that they formed. It's, you know, they come in together. They have lunches with um, leadership. Um, so even though they're they're rotating around, they, they try to keep them as a cohort and build mm-hmm. those relationships. And it's just, it's just really great in terms of the relationships that they make across the agency that then help them to be successful once they're finally placed. So, you know, for instance, if you have somebody that does a rotation in uh, federal acquisition service and then one that had, and then follows that with public building service, well, that's great. If they end up in one of those two, they probably don't need to know what the other's doing. But some of these same um, young people are then going to the CFO's shop and then HR and IT. And so when there's a problem or they need to resolve something, they have formed a relationship with someone in that office and they can pick up the phone or walk down there. And because of that, that relationship, things get done very quickly. So again, that goes to my my focus on relationships. It's super important, and um, and they feel really valued because they do know people throughout the agency, and they can bring value to their organization. Like uh, you may have mentioned this already, I may have missed it, but how many? What's the size of the cohorts? Do they vary or? Yeah, so it's it's supposed to be twenty. Okay. So ten in their first year and ten in their second year. Um, Right now, we only have 10 because okay. the, the program had just been sort of halted. So yeah. so right now, we've got 10. We just had one group graduate, um, and we've got this 10, and we'll be adding a second 10 okay. in, in the next six months or so. Alison, could you tell us a little bit about your efforts to relocate GSA's national capital region from 7th Street uh, Southwest to its national headquarters at 1800 F Street. Uh, what's the impetus behind this move, and what's the current status, and any insights you would like to share? So this is another one of those um, little special projects that I'm managing. Um, <laughs> uh, this this came from work that was. Um, like some of the other things that that was previously initiated and never was quite finished. So in 2013, uh, we completed a significant renovation of headquarters. If you haven't been um, over to see, we have two-thirds of the building renovated. um, And unfortunately, we didn't get the money for the last third. So um, we we had always planned on bringing National Capital Region over, but we were really waiting for that last tranche of money to come in so we could complete the renovation. The The first part of that renovation in 2013 allowed us to co-locate four D.C. area leased spaces into our headquarters building. 
And through that first phase, we reduced GSA square footage by nearly 440,000 square feet. Um, We reduced our annual lease payments by around 25 million. And then through better building systems and technology that was included in the renovation, we reduced our energy consumption by about 50% in the headquarters building. So... It's the NCR move was really the biggest and the final part. We were waiting um, to to finish that third portion of the building. It, we finally realized that that may not happen anytime mm-hmm. soon. So when I started in the deputy role, uh, one of the first things I did with the CFO was conduct some deep dive reviews of all the CXO budgets and challenged each of our CXO executives to identify new savings or efficiency opportunities. And as part of that process. The NCR move was identified as as a potential money saver. Um, we figured it would save uh, over ten million dollars annually. So, when this idea was presented, we were able to quickly assess through existing building utilization and mobile workforce data at, of the GSA workforce that we could accommodate the additional thousand team members into our headquarters building. And it was really a question of do we do it now or do we continue to wait? After looking at the numbers, it made sense to try to do it now. So, um, you know. As many of you probably know, office moves can be um, very challenging and thorny and emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, it affects people on you know part of their daily lives. So it was not an easy decision, and we knew that in order to get it um, over the finish line, it had to be more about than ju- you know more about something other than just saving money. Um, and we also had to get both um, headquarters and NCR leadership involved and have their buy-in. And then it was also really important to have uh, people in both headquarters and NCR that were our drivers. Um, So we put together an executive steering committee with senior level representation from all the impacted organizations. That was really important for us. It gave us the voice to continually talk about the benefits that were going to come from this. And then it also gave us that um, you know, deeper reach to make sure we were accommodating people's needs and work patterns of the organizations. And then we also really wanted to learn from and improve on the past. We had done that previous renovation, and everything's great, but some things are not so great. Um, for instance, we don't have enough um, conference rooms. People are constantly kind of fighting for that. We don't have um, enough what I call collaborative space. So, you know, people want to have a kind of more casual meeting and they don't want to be stuck in a conference room. Um, We we basically have the kitchen space Mm -hmm. or the roof. So we wanted to build more collaborative spaces we don't have enough space for kind of larger scale um, meetings. We we had an auditorium that looked like it was out of 1960. Um, so we've we're adding 60 conference rooms. We're renovating the auditorium. We know um, having a thousand more people is going to put more um, stress on our um, fitness rooms and locker space. So we're renovating that. We're adding um, additional um, collaborative spaces. We're trying to turn the kitchens mm-hmm. into areas where you can meet. It's not just something that's used for an hour or two each day. Um, so you know we've we've been able to um, free up some money and also anticipating the money that's going to be saved through this and and really improve the entire building. So we're in we're in the process of that. And we also as part of that uh, we had, we had a long time ago had a daycare center. Um, it we had lost them a couple of years ago. So we now have a, a daycare center too, which I think really adds to you know ben, as a benefit to the people in the building. How is GSA cultivating a culture of integrity within the agency? We will ask Allison Bergatti, Deputy Administrator of GSA, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. 
Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Allison Brigatti, Deputy Administrator at the General Services Administration. Also joining me from IBM is Kunal Saravanchi. So, Allison, um, how are you leveraging partnerships and collaboration uh, to improve operation, achieve program outcomes, and, uh, and mission execution for GSA? As I stated before, I view relationships as key to accomplishing my goals, um, not just on my team, but throughout the agency. When I came into GSA and was the associate administrator of OGP, I was really fortunate um, when I came in. I had an unbelievable um, deputy, Giancarlo Brizzi, and a great chief of staff, um, John Clinton, and they knew everybody in the building. Mm -hmm. So the first thing they did was walk me around and introduce me to just about everybody, and it was a little overwhelming at the beginning, (laughs) but um, by the time six months in when I became the deputy administrator, Mm -hmm. I had already built some pretty solid relationships throughout the building. Um, And so that was really, really important. I mean, to me, relationships are everything. if there's a problem and you have a relationship with somebody, they are going to come to you as, instead of going around you or blowing things up. So um, I think in every workplace, you need to build that trust. Um, and you need that person also to, if there's a problem, they need to know that they can come to you and mm-hmm. talk to you about it and that they may not like the answer, but also that there's that trust that you're doing whatever you think is best um, and you have their best interests at heart. So that's something that I've continued to try to cultivate a culture of trust and integrity and um, and know that I'm looking out for them. So I'd say, you know, partnerships and a collaborative approach are really key to that. And, and get, then that also allows you to get people mm-hmm. on board to sometimes what might be a little bit of a scary initiative, like like moving a thousand people into the building. So, um, so far, so good. <laughs> Allison, how is GSA ensuring that it fosters a culture of integrity throughout the agency? So um, one of Emily's first things she said as she came in, it's really one of her core values, is ethical leadership. Um, and, and she's really serious about it. So we've um, ensured that all the political team members receive, receive ethics training monthly. We have uh, two-hour training uh, Fridays. Um, and you got to go. If you don't go, you got to schedule a makeup. It's really important to her. Um, we've also, uh, we have required training for the um, SES mm-hmm. and then also for the career staff. So I, I'd say it's something that, you know, we focus on. And it's not just training. It's setting the example and, and just making sure that everybody knows that we're really serious about it. Mm-hmm. So, Allison, what advice would you give someone who perhaps is thinking about a career in public service? I would tell any young person out of college to do it. I've met the most amazing people at GSA, um, and many have been there for 20 or 30 or 40 years. I think you probably have had some of them on the show. I mean, they are amazing individuals. They are experts in their field. Um, And most importantly, they all love their jobs and the careers that they've had. one of the amazing things I've noticed about GSA, and and you know, given this is my only government experience, but um, maybe it's this way at other agencies. I don't think it is, but um, there are so many individuals at GSA who have had four or five or six different roles in the agency. And when I say different roles, it's not just moving around in one space. Somebody may have started in public building service, went to the Federal Acquisition Service, and is now in the CFO's office, um, which brings an unbelievable amount of value. I think, to the agency. 
GSA is really, really great about giving opportunities for growth and and letting people try different things. Um, and I, I know I just talked about young graduates coming to the government, but I mean, look at me. I, I came in at 52 years old. Um, I have to say it's been an, just as equally a wonderful experience for me. Um, it's definitely um, my favorite job of my career. So um, to me, it's, it's a great place to work regardless of your age or experience level, and I highly recommend it. Well, Allison, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule, but most importantly, Kunal and I would like to thank you for your dedicated service to the country. Thank you. This has been the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with Allison Brigatti, Deputy Administrator of the U.S. General Services Administration. My co-host from IBM has been Kunal Suravanshi. Be sure to join me next week for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on the intersection of government, technology, and leadership. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan, and thanks for joining us. This has been the Business of Government Hour. Be sure to visit us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. There you can learn more about our programs and get a transcript of today's conversation. Until next week, it's businessofgovernment.org.